This classic Encounters podcast is brought to you by Encounters North. To learn more about our podcast videos and projects and to support our work, please visit EncountersNorth.org. Hi, I'm Richard Nelson for Encounters, a program of observations, experiences, and reflections on the world around us. John Murray wrote, Those who have pushed far up into grizzly country know that the presence of even one grizzly on the land elevates the mountains, deepens the canyons, chills the winds, brightens the stars, darkens the forest, and quickens the pulse of all who enter it. Well, my pulse is just a little bit quickened right now. Believe me, I am in the middle of grizzly country along the Katmai coast of Alaska. Just off to my left is a huge male grizzly, or brown bear, as they're called in this part of the world. Same species, Ursus arctos. This is a very big, broad-bodied male. He's wading through a brilliant green wet sedge meadow, grazing away on those sedges, every once in a while lifting his head to look around, completely unconcerned about me. We have a respectful distance between us. He, in fact, stops right now and looks up, not toward me, but up the valley toward a great glimmering glacier that pours out from rocky peaks, surrounded here by steep walled mountains in a bluebird day, bright sky, sun pouring down, and I am not here by myself. Although I'm hiking alone, I've got plenty of company. Part of it is a little swarm of hungry gnats or white socks that are beating against my face and trying to crawl down the neck of my shirt. A little bit distracting, but not too distracting from the amazing experience of being around this bear. He's actually not the only one around. As I look up this long green meadow with a blue stream winding up the middle of it, I see a congregation of grizzly bears. I counted 13 or 14 of them. These are among the biggest bears anywhere in the world. The females here along the Katmai Coast, Kodiak, Alaska Peninsula, to about 700 pounds. Well, that's pretty impressive. But big prime males, like the one out in front of us here, can weigh as much as 1,500 pounds or more. But the real measure of the grizzly bear isn't just size. It's their formidable, imposing, utterly commanding presence, a prodigious mass of muscle, these animals. And of course, they have that impressive weaponry of teeth and claws as our bear just stops, pauses for a moment, looks over, and goes back to his grazing. It's a breezy day, a warm breeze, but you might hear it buffeting a little bit in the microphone. The reputation of the grizzly bear is for sudden outbursts of aggressive temper. Well, it's not surprising that the grizzly bear is considered the most dangerous wild animal in North America. Very close to the place where I'm standing right now, Timothy Treadwell and Amy Huguenard, his girlfriend, were killed by a very large grizzly in October of 2003. It was a chilling story reported all over the world. The causes of that tragedy have been discussed endlessly, but it added to the way that most people feel and that is the word grizzly is synonymous with fear. We have two species of bears in North America, the black bear 
and the grizzly bear. Biologists explain that the temperament of these two species can be seen as an adaptation to the kinds of environments they live in. The black bear, by far America's most abundant bear, they tend to be shy and unaggressive. Perhaps this is because they evolved as forest animals, mainly defending themselves or protecting their cubs by either slipping away or by climbing trees. Now the grizzly bear is mostly an animal of the open country. Tundra, meadows like this one, prairies, places where there are no trees to climb. Listen to that, that's a yellow legs that must have a nest around you. Actually a pair of them, another one flying right up over me, and they're not particularly happy that I'm standing here. So that's one of the ways that they defend their nest, by letting you know that they know you're here, and maybe you ought to move along. Anyway, the grizzly bears, with no trees to climb, evolved another defense. When they feel threatened, they protect themselves and their cubs by being formidably, explosively aggressive. Biologists Tom Smith and Stephen Herrero have studied the records of bear attacks in Alaska from 1900 to 2002. And over that 102-year period, they have found documentation on something over 200 attacks by grizzly bears, most of them not fatal. This compares with just under 30 attacks by black bears and only three documented attacks by polar bears here in Alaska. And now for perspective, think about this. Grizzlies account for only about 23% of the total Alaska bear population, but they account for 86% of all bear attacks in this state. During that period, 1900 to 2002, Alaska had a total of 56 fatal bear attacks. 45 of those were by grizzlies, six were by black bears, and only one by a polar bear. The biologists concluded this. Grizzly bears, and remember that also includes brown bears, are incredibly more dangerous than black bears or polar bears. They also conclude that many attacks by these bears could have been avoided if people just knew how to behave in bear country. Now the basic premise is to know how bears communicate with each other and to understand what kind of limits they set around themselves. So then, how do we keep ourselves safe when we're in bear country, like here on the Katmai Coast? Well, first of all, learn about bears. And some of that includes immediate knowledge. Before they head off into the wilds, people should find out about bear activity in the area where they're going. The best thing to do is talk to the local experts, like biologists and park rangers. Also learn where bears are most likely to hang out. For example, they often feed in places just like this, especially in the early summer grassy meadows. Of course, they gather along salmon streams during the spawning season, and in fall time in the berry patches. Bears, even the ones that live in open country, like to take shelter and rest in dense thickets and in the big forest if they're in timber country. People should avoid those places or be extremely careful when they're in places like that. Oh, right here in the trail, big pile of bear droppings. Boy, oh boy, that is huge. <laughs> Sometimes bear droppings are shaped like these right here. Look a little bit like a cow pie, but sometimes they're quite different. They look like maybe the scat from a huge science fiction dog. Often the scat, as this does here, contains large amounts of grass. Sometimes later in the summer, it'll be berry seeds. It'll even be purple, like blueberry color. 
Sometimes also you'll find fur and bones. And here along this coast, where the bears like to eat clams, often the scats have clam shells in them. The ultimate test for the freshness of bear sign, bend over like I'm doing right now and stick your finger down in there. Is it still warm? Well, this one's not. Let me drive my finger off here on the grass. This one's not, even though we have a great big grizzly bear very close at hand. He's apparently not responsible for what we've got here in the trail right now. If a person is out where there might be bears around and finds a dead animal carcass, either in the open or covered over by a mound of vegetation, that is a big danger signal because it may very well have been killed or cached by a bear and that animal may be resting somewhere nearby. One thing that bears are adamant about is they will protect their food supply. So anybody who finds something like that is well advised to get out of the area. Well, I'm just making my way along this bear trail, and actually I'm in a little section of it right now, where it's like a series of deeply impressed footprints. That's a common thing. Wherever there are brown bears or grizzly bears around, you may find it looks like the biggest bear in the world has been walking along, but actually those imprints can be made by many bears walking the same trail over a long period of time. Now, people like to use these same trails. They often are really beautifully situated, but when we start using these trails, well, you know who we might run into. I'm always very alert on any kind of a bear trail, especially in dense woods, underbrush, blind corners, even in an open place like this. There's a thicket just off to the side here. I'm always keeping a close eye out because you never know a bear might emerge from there. Very important to know this. Most bear attacks happen because the bear is startled at close range. That means within a distance of about 50 yards. Bears will nearly always slip away if they know somebody's coming. Overwhelmingly, as with our big bear here who's completely ignoring me, these animals are not looking for trouble. In order to keep from surprising bears, the experts say, make noise. Oftentimes people here in Alaska as they go along will just say something like, hey bear, or clap their hands, maybe pick up two rocks and smack them together, put some pebbles in a pop can and shake that can as they go along, or toot an air horn. Some people say that bear bells, which are a popular way of informing animals that you're around, some people say they're not as good as the other kinds of warnings. And if people do use bear bells, the advice is they should be low-pitched, not just a high-pitched little tinkling that might sound like a, a bird off in the bushes. Think also about wind direction. Now our wind today is blowing right into my face, and as I walk along this trail, any bear that's out in front of me is not gonna know I'm coming. But if I turn around and go the other direction, the wind is at my back, and I can be fairly sure that bears, because they have an extraordinary sense of smell, are gonna know that I'm coming, because they're gonna pick up that very strong human scent, and they're gonna get out of the way. Loud wind or rushing stream, that sort of sound can cover a person's approach, so it adds to the possibility of startling a bear. Also dogs, very important, the experts say, to keep dogs strictly under control because that dog might run off, chase the bear, harass it, the bear gets angry, the dog turns around and runs back to the person, bringing the bear right along with it. And even if the bear doesn't chase the dog back to its owner, the bear may in fact do harm to the dog. So it's just very important to take care of the dog in the outdoors. By far the greatest number of bear attacks happen to people who are out 
alone. That research by the biologist Tom Smith and Stephen Herrero, they found that people were less than half as likely to be harmed by bears if they were in a group of two as opposed to being alone. Very few attacks on groups of three and essentially zero on groups of four or more. So being with other people is an extremely important safety factor where there are bears around. Smith and Herrero say that aggressive bears apparently size up the odds when they encounter humans. And they say this, quote, if it's one-on-one, -on -one, they appear to be much more likely to mix it up with a person. So company is good in many ways when you're in the great Alaskan outdoors. Biologists have found that bears have a strong sense of personal space. Katmai bears, like our great big male here, who's still grazing and wallowing in this deep green salad of grass, these bears are very familiar with people because this is an area where folks often come on bear watching tours. And so bears like this one seem almost completely unconcerned about people. But it's important to remember that wild bears still have their own code of etiquette. And so people who are out here, the animals expect that we are going to follow that code. And so in bear language, approaching too closely is a sign of aggression. As you watch these bears out here, you'll see they're always keeping a certain space, especially from a large bear, the smaller bears keep a good long distance from them. Maybe siblings, two cubs from the same litter, well, they'll play around with each other. They have a very small personal space or with their mother, a lot of contact among them. Personal space is especially important when someone sees a bear cub. Of course, everybody knows this. The mother will not be far away from her cubs, especially if they're little ones, and she's gonna intensely defend her young. And so people should never go close to any bear cub. Teenage bears, adolescents, can also cause lots of problems. At a certain age, usually with grizzlies, it's two years, three years, maybe four years, those young bears are evicted by their mother. She pushes them away. She wants to have another litter. She wants to mate, and so she pushes them off. And those younger bears are usually kept in the more marginal habitat by the older, more dominant bears. They're often hungry. They're fearless. They're silly, just like any other adolescent. They don't know the rules, and they're likely to cause trouble simply by encroaching on people's space. These young bears are the ones that are most likely to check somebody out, walk into their camp looking around for something to eat or just curious about what's laying on the ground there. What are these tents? They might look smallish, but they're incomparably stronger than we are. So it's really important to take any young bear seriously. Now, if a bear comes threateningly towards someone or charges at them, the worst possible thing to do, all experts agree, is to run away. That triggers a predatory response to chase down prey. And no human will outrun a bear. They can instantly burst to speeds of 30 or 35 miles an hour, compared to about 20 miles an hour for Olympic sprinters. So it's pretty easy math there. Don't run from a bear. Now here's another thing biologists have learned. When bears have confrontations between themselves, the ones that stand their ground are usually not attacked. So that's why people should do the same thing. In the meantime, while they're standing the ground, not running, they should talk out loud to let the bear know they're human. Not yelling, not screaming, just talking in a fairly assertive voice. 
Don't make sudden moves. Ease slowly away. People should face a bear but not stare into its eyes because staring in bear language is aggression. Here's another thing. When bears have confrontations with each other, they'll often turn sideways. I've been watching them do that here. That's a kind of body language too. Show their size. Well, people can do the same thing. For example, holding their coat open to make themselves look bigger. Or in a group, line up side by side, close but make themselves look like a bigger thing. A bear, incidentally, that stands up on its hind legs is curious. It's trying to figure out what this is. It's not a sign of aggression at all. Trying to see a person better, trying to find their scent. Bears will often use the same body language with people as they do with other bears. A bear that's threatened or aggressive, for example, will lay its ears back and stare into the eyes of the other bear. If it does that to a person, it means exactly the same thing. Moaning or woofing sounds, those are also warnings in bear language. A bear chomping its jaws is very upset. Possibility that animal might charge. People should also watch for these same signals. They're telling someone, you're an intruder, you really ought to move away. Charging is also a signal or a bluff in bear language. Usually a bear will stop short of another bear or of a person. It's just saying, get away. Sometimes they'll do it several times. They'll repeat that message, get out of here, move off. People who are smart do exactly that. They're listening to what the bear is saying. A highly agitated bear might even run over somebody, knock them down. That's pretty extreme aggression. The next level after that, biting, shaking, and other extreme violence. But people can overwhelmingly avoid getting to that point if they know what they're doing, if they're paying attention, and if they're respecting the bear's sense of personal territory. Defensive bears will generally increase their aggression until they no longer feel threatened. If someone is attacked by an aggressive bear, they shouldn't fight back. They shouldn't scream. They should be submissive, just as bears are with each other. Curl up on the ground, protect their belly and chest, lock fingers behind the neck, keep still, wait for the bear to go away. Now, I should say, there are rare cases where attacks by grizzlies, or especially black bears, are in fact predatory hunting a human as food. If a bear acts like it's stalking a person, treating a person as prey, then they should fight back with everything they've got. Hit with fists, with a rock, with a stick, gouge in the eyes. Of course, also use any weapons that are available. A little bit more about this coming later. And of course, there's also the option of climbing a tree for safe refuge, but you got to remember this. It doesn't work for black bears. They're great tree climbers. And adult grizzlies can also once in a while clamber partway up in a tree, but even if they can't really climb trees like black bears, they can reach up 10 feet or more. So a person ought to try to get at least 15 feet up in a tree for real safety. Well, here I am. I followed this trail now right up to the camp that I'm sharing here with some friends. Most people know the basic rules for camping in bear country. Of course, you should camp well away from bear trails, away from salmon streams, berry patches, or any place with fresh bear sign. Alaska Native people who have lived for thousands of years in bear country, incidentally, will often camp on an island out in a river, in a lake, or along the coast. That island is a really good way to keep themselves off the beaten path, and it's a good thing to think about for people who are camping in bear country. The most important rule of all, never let bears get food. 
Cook far away from camp. Keep all food smells out of camp. Clean fish at a distance. Put fish guts or anything like that in a stream or lake. Keep every attractive smell out of tents. That includes stuff like toothpaste, scented cosmetics, anything that might have an unusual smell. Use bear-proof containers. I'm stepping right up to our camp now. And here we've got three barrels that are solidly closed, absolutely impossible for a bear to get into. Two of them are good solid steel barrels, and one is a very heavy plastic barrel. Those are really important. If you don't have them, food needs to be hauled up into a tree about 10 feet or more up in the air, four to 10 feet out from the trunk, some place where it's not accessible, and thoroughly burn any kind of garbage or stash it the same way as food. All of those tempting smells have got to be kept away from camp. Now, traditionally, people would protect themselves or their camps with heavy caliber rifles or 12-gauge shotguns with slugs, that sort of thing. There are a lot of other strategies as well. Very loud air-powered signal horns, flare guns. We've got a couple of flare, regular railroad-type flares right here that we have along. Also, rubber bullets or so-called bean bags that can be fired by a shotgun. All of these approaches are used to startle bears away without killing them. Now, the greatest breakthrough in recent years is another thing that we've got right here. I'm just picking it up. Bear spray. It's made from natural capsicum pepper extract. Extremely potent stuff. Sprays out of this can, causes intense burning irritation to eyes, nose, mouth, lungs. In fact, it's so powerful that it can temporarily cause blindness and severe difficulty in breathing. The studies that have been done of aggressive grizzly bear incidents show that in about 90% of cases, this kind of spray right here stopped bears, even at very close range. In a very few cases, the spray did not prevent an attack. But it's possible that if the person had not had spray, it would have been much more seriously hurt than they were. Now, the best way to use bear spray is to fire out two or three short bursts. That creates a cloud of highly irritating pepper spray material that the bear has to come through to reach a person. It's important not to empty the spray can, to make sure that enough is left to spray a bear in the face if it should happen to come on closer. And of course, at very close range, this spray should be aimed at the eyes or the nose. Strong winds, like the one we've got today, can really be a problem. If a bear was approaching from up into the wind and I tried to spray toward it, that cloud of irritating stuff is going to come right back in my face and won't reach the animal at all. So one of the big drawbacks for bear spray, wind. The experts also warn that bear attacks happen at lightning speed, so it's important never to have that bear spray buried somewhere in the pack. It's supposed to be hanging on the belt like mine is right now, or on the strap of a pack ready to use in an instant. Also, it's important to have that spray out and in hand ready to use in any situation where a bear might be really close, where the visibility is poor, situations like that. It's also important to practice with that stuff. Use an out-of-date can of spray. There are, in fact, cans that are made with inert contents specifically to practice how to use this stuff. But the experts say do not ever practice with spray that a person is carrying for protection. That can should be totally full, so it always has the maximum amount of spray available at any moment. Another thing, 
Spray should never be put on the ground or on equipment like bug repellent. It doesn't work that way at all. Very bad idea. It actually attracts bears. They love to roll around in it. They love to lick it. They like that stuff. It only works when it hits the mucous membranes in the air or when it's breathed in. Now here's another key point. Some of the experts say that bear spray is better than firearms as a defense against aggressive bears. It's quicker to use, it doesn't require precise aim like a firearm, and it's more reliable overall. Tom Smith, the biologist, suggests a person should always carry two deterrents, and one of them should be bear spray. I've got my bear spray hanging here on my belt, and I also have a flare as a second backup defense. Now, as I said, I'm in our camp, and I'm going to give you a listen. That is the sound of an electric bear fence charger. These are extremely effective for protection in areas with lots of bears. Electric fences have long been used to protect garbage dumps or big camps permanently out in the bush, but now there are small portable versions that you can use for camping. The whole kit is much smaller than inflatable camping mattress, and yet this one stretches out over an area about 30 or 40 feet on a side. We've got four tents in here with lots of spare room, and it delivers what it promises. This little thing weighs perhaps four pounds, powered by two D-cell flashlight batteries, can carry charges of up to 6,000 volts, a very painful but non-lethal shock. Our fence has two wires, and it operates on the principle that a bear basically never just walks straight through a fence or barges through it. Whenever they come up to something like these little white wires with flagging tape attached to them at intervals, they touch it first with their nose because they're very scent-oriented animals, or with their lips and tongue. And what happens then is that very sharp, painful shock. And that will send bears running. I've heard story after story about how extremely effective these things are. Biologists Tom Smith and Stephen Herrero make the extremely important point that bear attacks are very rare in Alaska. This shows again that bears will go to great lengths to avoid people. I mentioned that now famous tragic case of Timothy Treadwell who had for so many years completely violated all the main rules for behaving responsibly around bears. He got away with it year in and year out. And the biologists I've spoken with say without exception that the most important thing the case of Timothy Treadwell proves is how extremely tolerant these animals are. Simply put, Grizzly bears can be dangerous, but they are not looking for trouble, and our fears about them are mostly unfounded. And of course, we also know that when humans come into conflict with bears, the bear is far more likely to be killed than is the human. Conflicts between people and bears in Alaska have increased over recent years, but it's not because the bears have become more aggressive. It's because more people are crowding into these wild places. People simply love to see bears. For example, many tourists list sighting a bear as the best and most memorable experience they had during their Alaska vacation. It's small wonder that commercial bear watching has grown exponentially, but there are increasing concerns, of course, about bears being displaced by people, losing their fear of humans, or getting into trouble with us. On the Katmai Coast here, for example, they've developed a code of practices for bear watching businesses. But in order to keep the peace between people and bears, 
everybody has to be prudent and respectful in bear country. All of us have to honor this privilege of living with one of the most powerful and charismatic animals anywhere on earth. And most importantly, we have to learn the ways of sharing wild places with bears without endangering either ourselves or these extraordinary creatures. As I look across the meadow now, our brown bear a little farther in the distance, still wading along in that deep grass, feeding placidly in this wild place as bears have done for thousands and thousands of years. This animal that embodies the fullest, deepest, richest meanings of wildness. Well, I'm going to spend a little bit more time here with this bear and then ease away and leave him to his solitude. I want to thank you so much for your good company. I'm Richard Nelson. I'll see you next time. Encounters is a production of the Island Institute and KCAW in Sitka, Alaska. This program was written and narrated by Richard Nelson, edited and produced by Lisa Bush, special consulting from Ken Fate, theme music by Outback. Encounters is funded by the National Science Foundation and by the Kenneth Johnson Family Foundation, the North Pacific Research Board, and Robert Osborne, Jerry Tone, Martha Wyckoff, and Sue Cohn. For more information about the show and to hear podcasts, go to EncountersNorth.org.